Hey, boo. It's me, Roz. (sighs) I love this conversation that I get to share with you all today. I got to talk to Michelle Ballanger. And I have been a fan of Michelle's for a while. She was on the TV show Paranormal State. And one of my absolute favorites that I always talk about, Portals to Hell, which you can watch on the Travel Channel or Discovery Plus app. And... I just think that this person is so otherworldly. I mean, she's a psychic, first of all. So with the psychicness, the things that she does on TV, which I absolutely choose to believe is real. I mean, you've heard my conversations with Katrina Weidman and Jack Osborne, um, who also work on that show. I mean, come on. It's real. I, I, it's, it's real. Anyway, uh, what she does is just so cool. And so Michelle is also a demon and occult expert as well. Uh, She wrote the Dictionary of Demons and tons and tons of books. And we talk a little bit about that in this conversation. But so what we decided to do this week is we're going to do two parts of this conversation. This week's episode is going to be focused on Michelle's psychic abilities. And then next week, we're going to be talking about demons. And it's spooky. But I left the conversation feeling like, okay, I don't feel like I need to be terrified of demons. I think I'm going to listen to what Michelle has to say. But of course, like always, like always with this show, please just, um, you know, make your own decisions on things. But also it's it's great to hear from experts and to hear their insights. And uh, that's sort of how my beliefs, you know, I keep my beliefs obviously open and they shift all the time. But it's just uh, hearing these conversations with demonologists and psychics and experts and uh, exorcists and all of these uh, people, they they definitely help me to have a, a very expansive idea of, of what, what could be possible. And I don't know, I just, I personally hear someone like Michelle talk and I go, yeah, that sounds about right. But... Also, Michelle, as you'll hear in this conversation, is somebody that is also a paranormal investigator on top of having all of these different psychic abilities. So Michelle has um, that open-minded investigator brain as well, which I really appreciate. So before we get to that conversation, I thought I would read an email that came to me from a listener. And uh, that also reminds me, I would love to do a listener episode very, very soon. So please get me your listener 
episode submissions by emailing me at ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line listener episode. And uh, hopefully we can work that out real soon. This story came from Jordan. And Jordan is from my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Jordan writes, my best friend and I had a tradition dating back to college where we would drink cheap beer and watch bad movies every Thursday night. Our ironic alcohol of choice was 40s of King Cobra. Uh, Dumb, but it's important. Okay. He passed away about 10 years ago when he was hit by a car while walking home and his death hit me really hard as my wife, fiance at the time, and I were the last people he knew to see him alive. Oof, that's rough. (sighs) Two weeks after he passed, Thursday rolled around and I couldn't think of anything else to do but to pour one out for him. So I drove to my local party store, which was empty except for the clerk, and reached for our $2 malt liquor of choice, which P.S. I've uh, had conversations with people before. <laughs> Jordan, I mean, I'm from the same neck of the woods as you, and we call it a party store there. But a lot of I, I, a party store is like what you call a liquor store, basically, essentially a liquor store. Um, or I don't know, what do they call it where you live? Let me know. Um, okay, so went to the liquor store, party store situation. When I picked it up, I saw that all the labels were completely different and I felt a hand on my shoulder and heard my friend's voice in my ear, clear as day, saying, I just wanted to let you know that I'm okay. Of course, there was no one there when I turned around and I promptly broke down crying in front of nobody but God and the proprietor of Kentwood Liquor. When I got back, still just beside myself with a combination of tears and bemused laughter, I told my wife, who replied, of course, that's how he'd come back and reassure you with a loving eye roll. The story sounds silly to type, but it was definitely him saying goodbye. And it's good to know that silly juvenile traditions can transcend even death itself. R.I.P. Kyle. (sighs) Thank you for sending me that. I I always love those kinds of stories of friends and loved ones coming back and still having that sense of humor. I mean, that that really keeps me going and uh, not afraid of death like I once was. The more I hear stories like that of your sense of humor can still live on. And I just think that's beautiful. So thank you. I know it sounds silly to type, but it's it's. You're telling it to the right crowd of people. We get you. So thank you for sending me that. Okay. Um, Here is the first part of this conversation with Michelle as we talk about the psychic stuff. And of course, like always, if you want a little bit more, go on over to patreon.com slash rosdresfiles. There's also a link in the description of this episode. And uh, on my second tier, I have a couple of bonus clips. Now, this is a proper two-parter okay michelle and i will also give props to michelle for this because it was so sweet michelle gave me an hour and 40 minutes of her time i mean we really 
just kept going with this. And it was just so great. And it was, I mean, we didn't cut anything out besides the Patreon clips. I mean, it was just nonstop. I loved it all. And so um, if you want to go to Patreon, you can hear a couple more stories and, and a little bit more of Michelle's abilities. And we talk about this being that she encountered in New Orleans. And we talk a little bit about um, Portals to Hell and some of the things that she does psychically on that show. And uh, yeah, so check that out. And then, of course, next week, there will also be another bonus clip when we do our little demon episode. And it always helps me out if you join Patreon. And um, I appreciate your support. So anyway, here we go. Part one with Michelle Belanger. On with the show. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. We have got Michelle Belanger here. Hello, how are you? I am doing fantastic, all things considered with COVID and lockdown and everything else. Yeah, I mean, what has this past year been like for in a cult expert psychic slash energy worker slash psychic vampire i mean you do a million things i mean what is how has your life been sort of weird but also sort of exactly the same i mean if i'm not doing television stuff or appearing for any conventions i prefer to be home so i'm you know hanging out in my big old house in in ohio with all of my books doing research reading occasionally screaming on the internet at things that i find stupid uh, or annoying <laughs> Um, yeah, I can relate. Of all these things that you do, like what do you do you relate to one more or like how does how does that work for you? It, it's sort of all of a piece of uh, like I guess a broader identity. Um, I'm, I'm clergy uh, within uh, pagan and energy worker circles. Uh, and like, that's part of it. Uh, I guess it just is all part of my personal practice, my identity, my relationship with energy, the work I do with spirits, the psychic stuff, the research, like it's the research feeds into understanding myself and my experiences better. Uh, my experiences uh, help me have stuff to help teach people better and kind of go like, this is how this works for me. Don't know if it'll work this way for you, but here's what I learned. Um, and I guess if there's one, God, I, I, I'm terrible when people are like, well, what's one word we can put on your log line? I'm like, uh, uh, mystic, teacher, uh, right, professional weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I love about today's day and age is like, there is just such this movement that I am very much a part of, of just like one word does not need to define anybody, you know, like we... <laughs> There's so much nuance in this world and you can be so many different things at once. I was just curious with you, like, it, there's just, you do so many things. I like, it. and also, um, great website, by the way, oh. you have a very comprehensive website with so many things about you that that's why I'm like, I, you're one of these people that's like both uh, really easy to like interview, but also there's just so much to talk about. Trust me, it's really hard when people are like, "Could you write a bio?" And I'm like, "Where would you like me to focus?" I... Yeah, exactly. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about the psychic stuff yeah. because now I'm 
it's very well known that I am a huge, huge fan of Portals to Hell. I love that TV show so much. I have had Katrina on the show twice. I've had Jack on the show. And with them, you have come up because I'm just blown away by what you do on that show. And um, so, I, I mean, I'm curious, just, you know, I guess the psychic origin story. How did you find out you were psychic? How's that been for you? So, I, I grew up in a tiny little town here in Northeast Ohio called Hinkley. And Hinkley celebrates the return of turkey vultures every year on the Ides of March with pancakes and sausage. No shit. Uh, okay. <laughs> that gives you an idea of like kind of like how rural, small town it is. But at the same time, I, I was raised in a family where psychic stuff was pretty normal. Like it was okay to talk about. Um, lots of people had experiences. Uh, I would say that it was... Uh, an environment where we weren't encouraged to just swallow the beliefs without thinking about them. Uh, mm -hmm. my, my grandmother, her older sister and her younger brother were the ones who mainly raised me. My grandmother's older sister was a social worker who had been uh, working to become a psychiatrist. So I got a lot of early exposure to psychology and the idea of like psychosomatism and how uh, our, our perceptions can be misinterpreted as a good counterbalance to uh, the sort of Irish American lore about the second sight and, you know, family abilities that I got from, from my grandmother and such. And on top of that, like I was just an early reader and the, you know, everybody has a different way they interface, interface with learning. And for me, it's a book first. Like I want to read it in a book. I want to read every single book on that topic, take a whole bunch mm -hmm. of notes and then sit with it and go, but what do I think? Hmm. And I think that comes out with a lot of my psychic stuff because I'm not only an experiencer. I'm also, I let myself dive into the experience in the moment and then I step back and get as much objectivity as it is possible to have over your own experiences and analyze it. God, I love that. I, <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I get nervous talking to psychics um, sometimes on this podcast because some uh, a lot of experiences I've had they're very like this is what this is this is how it's done and and I like um I like that open-minded approach to to analyzing and I like what you said about like this is what works for me you know um I like that yeah I mean I appreciate I, that. I mean I've been doing it for you know nearly 50 years now I'm pushing 50 and there's no one right answer like I'm still learning how all of this works I, my, one of the things that I love about working on Portals to Hell specifically is uh, Katrina knows me from paranormal state days and kind of knows the, the, the very strict protocols I hold myself to. And Jack is a very open-minded experiencer. So once he, he learned kind of like what my rules were for doing stuff, uh, he was all for it. Because for me, uh, as much as it's, you know, yay, I'm on TV and this is cool, it's I get to go someplace that I've probably never heard of before. Um, and, and we make every effort to make sure that it's someplace I haven't heard of before uh, and just sort of get dumped in and see what comes and then have these other awesome people around me who can do the research to see if I'm talking out of my butt or if there's really something that I've done. Uh, so it's kind mm -hmm. of like this long extended, I, I won't call it a laboratory experiment because there's no way to have laboratory protocols but it's as close to a, a personal experiment as I can really delve into. 
Yeah, because I mean, what you do is you, you for anyone that hasn't seen it, which I imagine a lot of people <laughs> listening to this uh, do watch that show because I it's like I talk about it all the time. But um, so you you go into these spaces blindfolded. Yeah. Um, so w- what is that? Where did that come from? That actually came from an episode of Paranormal State where I, I think probably on the back end, it was one of the producers just kind of going like, how do we spice things up? We'll have Michelle uh-huh. and Kip have blindfolds for one episode. And b- because I am uh, a very analytic person, um, I kind of have that rational uh, dialogue going on in my head all the time of like, is this me reading the location? Is this me reading people's body language? Is this me like seeing a little boy who's got blonde hair because I just saw a photo that looked like that, you know, five rooms away. Uh, when we had the option of the, the blindfold, it opened so much up because I just, I stopped second guessing and I just spewed out whatever I picked up. Uh, and when I saw that particular episode, uh, one of the ones where that happened, like there's a point where like Ryan has me standing in front of something and I'm describing what I'm standing in front of. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think at some point, like the, the folks who had had that, like assumed that the blindfold wasn't real, but it was the sleep mask that I used. And trust me, mm-hmm. like that was meant to like block out all light and all everything because I'm a light sleeper. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I just, I liked it so much that I kept it and it's been a fantastic uh, addition to, to my practice with portals. I'm really lucky that Katrina knew like why I use that so much. And Jack was like, sure. Uh, so like mm-hmm. they blindfold me from the time, like they, they, they stick me up in some hotel and then they blindfold me as they pick me up. They film that whole process uh, you know, somewhere there's video of me talking about like getting blindfolded and what it feels like in the car and, you know, all that stuff. And uh, on a few occasions in the most recent one, like I've had images that were clear enough that I needed to draw them. And they are so respectful of those boundaries that uh, for, I think it was the Paulding jail one, they, they moved me into this van, they parked it in a blind alley. So like, if even if I looked around the van, all I had were bricks around me. So there was no chance. Um, so I could kind of peek it up a little bit and actually draw and not look like I was, you know, drawing stick figures, uh, literally blindfolded because nobody needed to see that. It was bad enough as it was. Uh-huh. I have this idea of psychic abilities that maybe everyone or a lot of people have these abilities. They're just too caught up in that um, trying to rationalize. I mean, do you think that there's truth to that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I would say that people who don't have abilities are the exception, not the rule. And I mean, I won't rule out that there are some people who basically need glasses for their third eye to to make a Mm -hmm. kind of joke about it. Um, (laughs) It's not like we have corrective lenses for that, but, but there are some people who just don't seem to quite have the abilities quite in focus, but the vast majority of folks do. And they, I actually believe that they are so natural to us, not, not even paranormal or weird, that we don't realize when they're influencing us when we make decisions based on them. Like we talk in language about having a gut instinct. We talk about like just sort of following a feeling. We talk about intuition. Uh, sometimes we meet people and we have an immediate reaction to them. And if we stop to deconstruct where that comes from, there's, in my opinion, always some aspect that isn't going to simply come down to they reminded me of someone I didn't like before, their body language was different. Like there's 
our perceptions are all of a piece, uh, both the psychological cues we get from the world around us, the physical cues, the things from our five physical senses, and then this sort of constant running dialogue of something else that you can't always put your finger on, but you are definitely picking up on and reacting to. You know, I, I identify as non-binary, trans feminine. And I talk to a lot of people that are also trans or non-binary or queer. And there seems to be, I've had this conversation and I don't like to generalize with, with any group of people, but I've, I've had these conversations with people like me in that way that we think that like, maybe there's no doubt we are these magical creatures, but we like is is there any truth to the fact that people you know on that aren't cisgender or um hetero or have these abilities i think there's two things going on with that if we dig okay. into world traditions and different cultures there is a very vibrant belief system of folks who fall in between as kind mm-hmm. of being called by their very identity to walk between, to be uh, perceptive to reality in between the cracks, to be outside of uh, what is considered normal space and therefore have access to what is considered unusual, extraordinary space. And, yeah. and at the same time, I also think that those of us who've had to take the time to really ask ourselves, who am I? Regardless of what the world says, how do I feel? How do I experience things? How do I listen and accept that? That opens us up to all of the possibilities inside of who we are. We have learned to listen to something, even if the world has told us that's not possible or that's not our right. And I think for many of us that extends to all of the other rich, fantastic and magical things that we are. Right. Yes. I I think that too, that um, having an open mind uh, can open your mind to a lot of different things. You know, that's what I think about sometimes with um, like paranormal investigators and stuff. Um, Just, you know, you can't just have your mind open to the idea of ghosts being real, but then have a closed mind to other things in in this world being a reality or, um, you know, do you get what I mean? Like there's, I think sometimes it's like, I just think it's a good thing to keep your mind open to any possibility, both supernatural or or not no i totally or is that dangerous no no i i totally agree with you i and i think we're starting to get closer to that um you know 15 Uh 20 years ago uh and even before you know you had witches and witchcraft over in its little corner and you had psychic people over in their little corner and you had the ufo people in their corner and the the bigfoot people and and like everybody was experiencing extraordinary stuff from their own framework and there's definitely crossover between mm-hmm. all of these aspects of, of paranormal and supernatural, just, just unusual things. But when we put them in little labeled boxes and assume that those boxes are, are anything other than the arbitrary walls that we've built to just make it easier at first, we, we lose the richness. Uh, and Hellier is is an interesting thing because they really kind of, they've started to dig into 
you know, it's not just ghosts. What if there's uh, a correlation between ghost experiences in a place, but also UFO uh, experiences in a place and also, you know, reports of like fairies or changelings or goblins. So let's, in, let's investigate all of it and see what people are talking about. Like what's behind the reports and the language. Right. I know they're doing a lot of that at um, Skinwalker Ranch mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that that goes along with like everything in life, to be honest. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that our culture is getting to a place where we're not putting our, putting people in these boxes and closing our minds off to, um, all of why we are so similar and why we are, our differences are, our beauties. Yeah. It's, it's what makes us so special. We're, we're in the middle of this fantastic, scary, alchemical moment in time where we are deconstructing our labels and our identities and our assumptions and analyzing like like going like what works what actually works what is stuff that was simply handed to us that we grabbed because we didn't have any other choice or we thought we didn't have any other choice uh, what mm. happens when we really exist in a truly global worldview and everybody has a place and everybody has a voice and they can express that how they wish now with your psychic abilities um i mean do you see into the future or you know how does how does it manifest for you i mean i know about the mediumship and 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 the visions and and i mean how do you <laughs> yeah. How many, you know, I mean, what am I trying to ask? I'm having a hard time asking questions. I'm so in awe of you. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie that I'm like starstruck and like also taking in so many things right now um, that you're saying. Um, but, you know, as a, as a psychic and a medium, I mean, how, what kind of abilities do you have? I feel like that's a condescending question. No, no. Uh, it's coming from a place of, <laughs> of love and curiosity. I, I don't find it condescending at all. It's it's a question I get a lot because, again, labels and words are, are weird and complex things, right? And kind of the, I don't know, the archetype that you see in media, psychics foretelling the future or, or whatever. It's Psychics are really uh, broad label, and I think it covers a whole lot of things. Uh, for me... Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to identify my abilities, it starts with my ability to pick up what I identify as the, the energy of people. Um, this is also how my identity as a psychic is kind of, uh, you can't pull it apart from my identi- identity as a psychic vampire. Uh, there's the energy that people have, and I pick up the energy of the living first. Uh, their vitality, their emotions, uh, snippets of thoughts, what they leave behind in rooms where they've been, what they leave on items that were important to them. Uh, And by extension, spirits are also energy. And so that's another layer that I pick up. Uh, But I definitely, not all the time, uh, but also experience things in dreams and dream work, Uh, have had a few kind of startling dreams that foretold something that happened in the future some some of which were just completely mundane um and, and a couple of which were really unnerving and startling um probably the the biggest one and i it was a, a lesson learned was when i was in seventh grade uh, i had a dream about the space shuttle launch going horribly awry the next day and there were some very specific things uh, there was the 
the class period that it happened in, uh, there were there was a bunch of stuff about it. Um, so suffice to say that seven seventh grade me was sitting there about you know crapping myself when the news came over uh, the thing because I'm like oh. I I dreamed this like and and anybody who has even one or two visions of the future has this moment of like could I have done something? Should I have done something? Like like was I given this for a reason? Should I have changed the course of history? Like what what even? Um, and I went home and I talked to my grandmother about it and, uh, <laughs> bless her heart. But like the first thing she said was anybody can be psychic after the fact. And, and while that was a little harsh in the moment, uh, as we talked about it, it was what I learned was if that happens again, write it down before the thing you've foreseen happens one. Mm -hmm. So you are better able to recognize that this is actually something foretelling the future as opposed to just a random dream or, you know, a stress dream or whatever. Uh, but, but also, so you've got a record. Uh, realistically, she's like, you're, you're in seventh grade. Who would, like, if you called up NASA, like, like really, <laughs> that wasn't going to change anything. Like maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe you got this just to bear witness to it. Like just accept that sometimes these things happen. Um, yeah, that's such a difficult situation to be in. What do you do with that knowledge? You know, and and I imagine, especially at seventh grade time, so sensitive of like, I don't want to be the person that's going to go, you know, saying to people that this is going to crash today. Like, right? You know that that's a that's a scary place to be. Um, you know, seventh you grade, you're trying judgment. to figure out your so much of your own crap that like. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're worried um, about the pimple you have on your forehead, not whether or not <laughs> you should go call NASA to forestall a national emergency. Like it was just, and, and, and that one is like probably the most extreme example I have. Like literally most of the other ones are like uh, dreaming about an assignment I'm going to get the next day uh, where I end up asking myself, I'm like, is that actually foretelling the future? Or was I picking up the thoughts of somebody? Like, did, did I just kind of eavesdrop on the professor? Like, I don't always know the answer. Mm -hmm. What well, did you ever see Final Destination? Uh, I, I am familiar with uh, the series. I haven't seen all of them though. Cause that sounds a lot like the first Final Destination. What happened to you? Mm -hmm. um, Cause he, he has a premonition of an airplane crashing and, um, and then as he's about to get on it and then it does crash. And it's, and it's again that like he, what do you do with that knowledge? Um, yeah. Well, and, uh, and if you act on it to avoid the thing that you foresaw, then it doesn't happen. And you have no way to know if what you foresaw was real or just right. anxiety. And if you don't act on it, you, you, you're you like, well, well, crap. <laughs> well, so by the seventh grade and when that happened, I mean, were you already having these experiences? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had stuff. So uh, I guess a little bit more background on me is I had... I was born with uh, what's called a ventricular septal defect, which is to say my heart was very screwed up when I was born. And I was born in the early 70s, which meant that it was it was kind of an emergency thing. Like there was not a high chance that I would live past the age of five. Uh, and the surgeries were super risky. And in fact, like the one that would have saved my life, they couldn't do until I, I actually could wait enough to be on the heart lung machine they had available at the time. So there was a lot of dodgy stuff going on when I was little, which also meant that there were a lot of conversations when I was tiny about life and death, what comes after. 
uh, and in like really adult conversations. Uh, I had a lot of fairly traumatic experiences. Uh, and, you know, my, my mother confirmed that there were a couple of, you know, legitimate, like, which time that you died on the operating table, dear? You know, just very casually oh, wow. because that was that was just a thing. Um, so there's that argument that psychic abilities are enhanced by near-death experiences. Personally, I think I kind of came out of the box with these abilities, but I also think that those experiences as a tiny child really helped, I don't know, make it more accessible, make it easier to talk about, make me less fearful of any kind of repercussions. I mean, when you're facing down death at three or four um, and your family's like, legitimately talking to you about that there's not many things that are going to scare you after that right yeah so i mean had you uh do you see like spirits and do you see you know past you know people that have passed when i was tiny i saw them as if they were physically there um the first ghost that i know for certain uh i perceived the small town hinkley had um it was a local residence they were turning into the the public library and you know unbeknownst to me at the time multiple people were seeing what they were calling the lady in blue uh i was four i I know it was shortly before my final heart surgery so it was a summer that star wars came out and we went there Uh, my mom knew the librarian uh, she got talking to the librarian. There's like all these places where I wasn't supposed to go and construction tape and whatnot. So I was the kid who, as soon as mom turned her back, I went exactly where I wasn't supposed to go, mm-hmm. uh, which which led me upstairs to a room that was disappointingly empty of anything beyond like painting supplies and whatnot. Except there was a woman who was standing at the window. And th- the thing is, is at that time, I saw her and parsed her as if she were a real flesh and blood living person. I saw the buttons all up and down the back of her dress, the weird sort of poofy shoulder bits on her sleeves and the way that they went down really tight on her forearms and all the little buttons there. And the, the, like the tiny little blue flowers that were uh, like, like almost looked hand embroidered on this dress and her hair. Okay. She was turning out a look. Yeah. No, like, oh, well, she had, she had a very distinct look and she's just looking out the window. She never said anything. Um, she, she turned and she looked at me, uh, and you know, if I had the word melancholy at the time, I would have said that she looked melancholy. She looked back out the window. Uh, mom, mom called up for me, finally realizing that I wasn't there. And I kind of like duck partly out of the door. I never got in, like, like I stopped in the door because, oh, you know, here, here, here's some adult in here. Um, and I call back to mom to let her know that I'm, I'm coming and, you know, that, that flush of guilt that you have, cause you got caught. And in the time that I turned my head away and turned back, she wasn't in the room anymore. And I was standing Uh. in the only door that went in and out. Uh, So, of course, four-year-old logic told me that she found a hiding place because she wasn't supposed to be up there either. Mm. But it made an impression on me. I remembered the encounter. I I talked about it a little bit. Um, You know, didn't get any pushback. But it it was years later that I found the person I saw was someone who was described by multiple people um, and her name was Rebecca. She had lived in the house with her brother. He had been like the school teacher in the early 1800s. Um, she had died like an old maid at 38 or something like, 
At 38, <laughs> right. oh my god. It might be 28, I might be, I mean, it was, it was like a ridiculous number where it's like, seriously guys? But <laughs> she was known for her needlepoint, um, which I saw her dress as white with blue flowers. Most people reported her as the lady in blue, and I, I really kind of hold to the fact that she showed up in that dress so intently because she had hand sewn that like this is totally my my own head canon about it but i think that was a factor for why she showed up so intently but what i will say is as i got older and not because anybody told me i wasn't allowed to see ghosts but i think just as i learned better to navigate the perceptions uh, these days it's more that i'm seeing something with my mind's eye uh, I am an incredibly visual person, and so it's usually quite vivid, but it's not as if I see them physically standing in the room. Every once in a while I do, and I'll be honest, it throws me because I don't expect it. Mm. Yeah, I imagine. Do you think that, you know, even with, now again, like we've kind of established that everyone kind of has psychic abilities, but there's always that conversation of little kids are more connected. I mean, it, it, would you say that that is what you just described? Do you think that's similar with most children as well? Yeah. With, you know, why they stop seeing ghosts uh, as they get older? I think there's a number of factors for kids. I mean, some of it is literally like they just haven't thought that they can't. Uh, like, like nothing about their experience has told them that this person shouldn't be standing there. And so they simply react to, his, to it as if they would anything else in their environment. They, they are, they're little sponges for experience uh, and, and, and perception. I, I think as, as kids start to go to school, start to socialize, start to, um, I don't know, get a better handle just on a physiological level and also like a personal psychological level of how they interface with the world. They start to kind of narrow their focus again, just because that's part of, I don't know, surviving in this life. Like you start to rule out the stuff that nobody else is talking about. That doesn't seem to be the focus of what you're learning about. Sure. Um, and, and certainly there's, there's families and, and school systems and situations where people start to be like actually suppressed. Like if they continue to talk about it, oh, you know, you, you, that's just your imaginary friend. That's, you know, all in your head. But I think there is an aspect that's simply how we develop and settle into living this, this thing called life. Like we, we don't need to, in most cases, perceive the spirits and the other things around us. We do need to worry about the car that's on the road that we're crossing. We do need to worry about how we do our ABCs and, you know, how to interface with the other you know, living kids around us. And that's hard enough. Like that takes up so much space in our brains. Yeah. When was the last time that you saw a ghost where it threw you off? The one that comes to mind specifically uh well if we don't count uh an animal ghost because that that's happened a couple of times uh there was a paranormal state episode where uh i actually right Ryan had me on a walkthrough and this was before the blindfold times so we're going through this house in maryland and you know, we've got a crew around us all the time. And I think the episode before that, I'd sort of like, I liked opening doors and poking my nose into closets and sort of seeing what was going on. And there was a point where I opened a door and there was someone who from the crew who'd like hidden in there because they like were <laughs> at the last minute. So like, it was like kind of an unintended jump scare for the both of us. 
(laughs) (laughs) So what I thought was going on in this house in Maryland was I caught uh, a guy uh, walking into this room and then ducking into what I assumed was a closet. And I just, like my eyes darted that way. And I kind of went, oh, I'm not going to pay attention to that because that looks like a crew, crew, crew member and that's probably got nothing to do with this haunting. Ryan caught the look and like knew enough about my body language at that point. He's like, what, what, what caught your attention in that room? I'm like, uh, and I didn't want to say pretty sure it's a crew member, Ryan, like right on camera, but, but he finally like pulled it out of me. And I'm like, I saw a person, uh, wearing this and this and this, and they walked into that room and I'm pretty sure it's somebody on the crew. And he's like, are you sure? So we go into the room and, uh, what I thought was a bathroom that this person ducked into was a blank wall. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a ghost. (laughs) Yeah. And and as I, as it turned out, it was, it was one of the son's rooms. And one of the things that he was complaining about was seeing a a guy who matched the description of what I saw and like literally was certain this was with my physical eyes walking exactly that path, which took him across like the, the foot of their bed. And then almost to the wall and then they would make a sharp right turn and then just disappear into a wall and no you like like i i think about it now and i'm like that that was a person like like i saw that as a person like there was no sense there was there was no point at which if i had just casually had that experience on anything other than a paranormal show wouldn't have thought anything of it Oh, I have one more psychic question. Yeah. Um, and this is also every time I talk to a psychic, I I I want it. I I really want it to be clear that I'm not trying to be like, oh yeah, why didn't you win the lotto? Like <laughs> I never want to be that person because I'm not at all. Um, but I was wondering with like when you do the blindfold thing, you really it really is that kind of like bloodhound feeling you yeah. know like you really seem to like sniff out a location and find things have can you do that like if you lose keys or something like that or if you're trying to find something as long as i don't get in my own way and and one of the things mm. that it at least is tricky for me is if it is my own stuff i am so entangled with it that it's hard to find it's hard to listen to the actual intuition over the, I really want to find my freaking keys. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is also why I've had a number of people reach out to me uh, with, with some really tragic things where like, they want me to find the, the scattered dismembered remains of their murdered family member. Like uh, oh, wow. it's actually gutting how many people have reached out with specifically that, that like, like there shouldn't be this many people with this problem. Yeah, um, and, and yet they are. And I have to always explain like, how my abilities work, like you see the ghost aspect or the medium aspect on on TV, but that's actually kind of, if I have a a list of like 10 things I do, that's probably number four or five. And for me, Ah. the the loudest thing is always how a person feels. Uh, You know, we, we, we toss out the word empath a lot. um, And and empath is definitely a part of, of my ability cluster. So when a person reaches out to me and is like, and, and they have all of these feelings and all these expectations and they really want, and, and heaven, they have like a whole bunch of ideas of what it really is. I pick all that up first. And it's so hard to pick anything else past that. Like, it's really hard. It, it's like, it's broken my objectivity. Yeah. And I don't feel confident. Um, and, and I, the rules that I set for myself, especially if it's something that is that important to someone, 
and I know finding keys is not really that important, but in the moment, sometimes it is. Uh, yeah. we're, we're like you, once your emotions get involved, it's really hard to pick past all of that for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Because I, I feel like I have this idea that there are psychics that um, homicide detectives hire. I mean, is that, a, is that a thing? So I have a number of friends in law enforcement. Uh, and I know that it has definitely been promoted on a lot of television shows. It, like this is a regular thing. Uh, I do know that in a few rare cases it has happened. But what I want to pose um, as someone who works with homicide detectives in some completely different venues, not psychic ones, um, what you really want your homicide detectives or other detectives to do is to come up with demonstrable, provable facts. And if there is any application for a psychic in that, they might be able to point someone toward where actual evidence can be found. But in the end, it has to, it must come down to hard police work to find physical evidence that can then go through the legal system. Because the, the last thing anybody ever wants, uh, the last thing we ever, ever need is for someone like me to be able to go, oh, that person over there is a murderer. You should go investigate them. Um, and <laughs> I say it like that because we sat in on a supposed psychic who swore up and down in her presentation that she worked with the police all the time and would just pick murderers out off the street and have them arrested, which if you just apply a little bit of logic to how the world works, that it does not work that way. <laughs> like, the guy I was sitting next to happened to also be a police officer and he had to leave because he could not control his, like he just, he almost started just yelling at her from, from behind because it's just, that's not how it works. Um, and, and nobody would want it to work that way. Uh, when I've been asked to do psychic stuff in connection to police investigations, I have, it has been after the investigation has been solved all of the details of like murder or whatever have been handled. And there's just a couple of things that they would hope for. And they're totally like grasping at straws for to give the family some sense of closure. Ah, okay. Um, at least that's been my experience. That, that made me think about another thing, what you were talking about, that psychic. Um, can you tell when someone's full of shit? whether they're a psychic or just in life? I mean, I like to think that everybody's born with a good functioning bullshit meter. Um, <laughs> and I heartily encourage everyone, if something, if something sets that meter off, sit with that and ask some questions. Um, uh -huh. I, I think I have a pretty good sense of it. And I think it's more than, than, than just psychic stuff. Like there's, there's way you're, ways you read people. Um, and, and I'm not going to pretend I don't have a background in psychology uh, with some of my, my college stuff. And all of that said, uh, I'd say my big Achilles heel is if I'm way too emotionally entangled or invested. And I think any of us who've had a couple of bad exes, like have had this experience. <laughs> if yes. you're just, if you're too close you just don't see it. It doesn't matter yep. how psychic, 
how perceptive, how much of a Sherlock you are for everybody else. If you're too close, it's really hard to see. Thank you so much to Michelle. And don't you worry, there's way more. We've got the demon episode next week with Michelle. Again, Michelle has written and done so much research and has so much of an education on on religion and occult practices and demons and demonology and, and all of that stuff. So it's a conversation you're not going to want to miss. That will be next week. And if you want to hear a little bit more, go to patreon.com slash and you can hear a couple more clips from this section of our conversation. As always, please send me your listener stories to ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line listener episode and send them to me quick. Also, please join the Facebook group, another great place to leave a ghost story that is ghosted by Roz Dresfales on Facebook. And it's a private group. And please join that. I'm on Instagram at Roz Hernandez, Venmo, Queen Roz. Um, what am I missing? Oh, five star review, please. Please give the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have something nice to say, you could leave um, a review there with your rating. And um, you could also leave a ghost story there if you'd like. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye! Star Bands Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.